Thank you, Father, for the opportunity one more time to stand in this sacred place designated as the place of the prophet, the place of the one who foretells the gospel of the Lord Jesus. I thank you for this assemblage today, and I thank you for the purpose of worship in this house. Thank you for the songs that have been sung. Thank you for the prayers that have been prayed. And now we come to a very serious moment when we lay ourselves bare before you, and I ask you to touch us and turn your searchlight of the gospel upon our hearts and help us to leave here refreshed and encouraged and strengthened in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen and amen. Trying to get in the Christmas mode of, of preaching. Didn't David do a good job? Hey. Actually, the area she's talking about is Tanzania, and that is a terrible blight that uh, the people in that region suffer. They, many of them lose their legs that are maimed by the infection that comes through the bite of that uh, flea in that area there. And it's an actually a terrible need. There's a, there's a Church of God orphanage there. And uh, there are a lot of needs. And when Debbie read about that, she really got moved. At, uh, she's very serious uh, about it. And she's uh, very dedicated. And she's going to... She's going to raise her amount of what she's got in her mind, no matter what, I understand. So uh, if you want to and you've got some extra money, don't take money you've got designated for church projects or anything like that or tithe. Don't do any of that. But if you've just got some money you'd share with her, for, try to ease the burden of somebody on the other side of the world. Uh, she'd appreciate that very much. She had a night last night. She always goes to, television, goes to bed with television, the clicker in one hand, and uh, the phone in the other. And she went to sleep last night. Uh, and what she did, she went to sleep watching her television, and it eventually went off because there's no activity. She rolls over on her phone in the middle of the night and dials Brian at 2 in the morning he thinks somebody's died or had a car wreck or you've rushed his daddy to the hospital. He, he thinks a catastrophe is taking place. And she says, I just gone back to sleep. I rolled over on the phone and misdialed. It ain't nothing. Going back to sleep. Such is the life with Debbie. Amen. We'll write a book one of these days. And you just, hey, what we'll do, we'll just let everybody title that book. We'll set, do a census and see if we can find somebody titled Life and Times of Debbie. That'd be good. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1. In trying to get in the Christmas mode of preaching, I went back and looked at some titles of Christmas messages that I've preached. One was Joseph, the Forgotten Man of Christmas. Preached one about when the star you're following stops over a shack. Uh, preached another when all your dreams become a nightmare. Preached about several things about Mary and uh, several things. But I found out that tucked over in the Old Testament, way back there in Zechariah, there's a scripture that tells us more about Christmas than you probably realize. It says this, In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David 
and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. That day when the fountain shall be open in the house of David, that coming of a promised one to the Jews that would be called the Messiah or what we call the Messiah. He would be the one who would reign forever and would sit upon David's throne through all millennia that he would always be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that long-awaited one uh, to come. There were people that actually spent their time in the temple waiting for the Bible says, the consolation of Israel. In Luke chapter 2, 25, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and that same man was just and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Boy, I love that, don't you, Brother Ford? The Holy Ghost was upon him. How many people do you hear that said of? I bet it's been a long time since you had someone tell you, do you know this one or do you know that one? The Holy Ghost is upon him. Or the, do you know her, the one that does this and does that? The Holy Ghost is upon her. What a compliment that is to say about somebody that the Spirit of the living God is upon that person. Now, we who are Pentecostal and have been uh, acquainted with the spirits moving for many, many years, we know about what it means to be touched in your life by the Holy Ghost, that you receive the Holy Spirit, that He's uh, abiding in you and living in you, that He speaks through you and He guides you and He comforts you and teaches you and helps you and you know what it is to be a person that the Holy Ghost is upon them. They're separate from other kind of folks. Uh, they're, they're not fleshly. They're spiritual. They're not carnal. They're, they're, they're spiritually minded people, which is, brings us to life and peace. So this man is in Jerusalem. He's living in Jerusalem, and he was a devout man, and he's just, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for that long-awaited one, waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the promised one of the Old Testament. And the Bible said, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost. Have you ever had anything revealed to you by the Holy Ghost? Has the Holy Spirit ever guided you into something and told you what you should do? Have you ever talked to the Holy Ghost? and the Holy Ghost had a conversation with you and revealed things to you that you were able to ask questions and got answers from the Holy Ghost that you couldn't find anywhere else? Is the Holy Ghost that big a priority for you? Do you feel it's really essential that you have the Holy Ghost in your life like that? Anybody here feel like you need the Holy Ghost in your life like that? This man, the Bible said, the Holy Ghost was upon him. And the Bible said, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost. There are benefits to having the Holy Ghost on your life. There are blessings that are accrued to people that have the Holy Ghost upon them. And he said, and the Spirit revealed unto him that he was not going to die. He would not see death 
before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And brother, I want to tell you when the Holy Ghost tells you something, it happens, doesn't it? I said it happens. Verse 27, and he came by the Spirit to the temple. He came to church by the Spirit. He was motivated by the Spirit to go to church. He anticipated going to church, and the Holy Spirit said, I'm going with you. Many people say, I, I hope to uh, meet the Holy Spirit when I get to church. Hey, you ought to have him with you a long time before you come to church. You ought to have him with you when you woke up this morning and said, Good morning, Holy Ghost. Good morning, Spirit of God. Thank you for keeping me through the night, and I can't wait to, wait to live this day anointed by the Holy Spirit. He went by the Spirit. By the Spirit, he went to the temple. You know what? It, it's his custom every day to go into the temple. He was a, a priest and a prophet. He was a, a man that stayed daily in the temple waiting for the consolation of Israel. And one day, the Holy Ghost led him to the temple. By the Spirit of God, he came. And the parents of a child brought that child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law. Amen. To secure for that child all the privileges of being a child of God and a child of Israel. And notice what happens when he meets this child. The Holy Ghost has, has led him to church, brought him to church, and he came in face to face with the promise. Have you ever found the promise and God had given you a promise, and God had touched your heart with a promise and led you and guided you to the place, and suddenly the promise is standing right before you. Suddenly it's time to claim the promise. Suddenly the promise is right there in your touch. You can almost just reach out and touch him, and that's exactly what this man did. Then he took him up in his arms. Hey, brother, sometimes you just got to reach out there and touch the Spirit of God. Sometimes you just got to take your hands and reach out there and wrap your hands around the Holy Ghost and just accept it. He took him in his arms. Have you reached that place in your walk with God where you have just taken the Holy Ghost and taken the promise of God, just take it in your arms? What does that really mean, Pastor? It means I have accepted the Lord Jesus in my heart. I've accepted that he's Lord of my life. I've accepted that he's the promised one that the Lord said would come. I've accepted the fact that there's salvation in no other. I've accepted that he's the way, the truth, and the life. I've accepted that he's the healer. I've accepted that he's the Holy Ghost baptizer. I've accepted that he's the deliverer and the promised one. And I've accepted the fact that all of my life is in his hands and he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. I have reached out there and took him. And the Bible said that this man, Simeon, reached out there and took him up in his arms and he blessed God. Boy, that's as good behavior for church, isn't it? Make sure you embrace the Lord when you come to God's house. 
bring the Holy Ghost with you. When you get to the house of God, embrace Jesus and then start blessing God. And he blessed God and he said, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. You've kept your promise and my eyes have now received the promise which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. If you'll go down to that 36th verse, it says, And there was one whose name was Anna. And the Bible said she was a prophetess. What does that mean? She is a preacher. A prophet is one who foretells. A, a prophet is one who goes to God for people and to people for God. A prophet is one who tells about future things. A prophet is one who takes the truth of the gospel and puts it in your heart and puts it in your life. This is a woman that her husband died very early in their marriage. In fact, the Bible said it was something like seven years after they were, were, were married, her husband died. And she said, I'm just going to spend the rest of my life in God's house. I'm just going to hang around the temple and prophesy. I'm just going to hang around with God and hang out at God's house and just keep on preaching is what I'm going to do. Husband's gone, got no responsibilities at home. I'm just going to get out and do God's work and preach the gospel and be a prophetess. How about that? Well, you know, the Bible said Philip had four daughters and they were all deaconesses. Deaconesses. Some people, when they feel like God is unfair, that the Bible is unfair to women, read it again. Read it again. It was a woman that the Lord chose to bring his promise into the world. Blessed art thou, Mary. Thou hast found, found grace in the sight of the Lord. And it said, that holy thing which is in thee is of the Holy Ghost. Do you see the Holy Ghost at work here? Hey, does anybody in the house discern that the Holy Ghost is the one that brought all of this about? That in the eternal counsels of God, that the Holy Ghost and God the Father and the Lord Jesus all Hallelujah, as the Trinity are behind the whole activity of the Christmas message. Hey, the joy is not at Dillard's. It's not at, at Saks Fifth Avenue. It's not at Bass Pro Shop. The joy is in you find the Lord Jesus and you find the grace of God and the peace of God that passes all understanding. Hey, peace is not to be found in Washington, D.C., Peace can't be found in Moscow. Peace can't be found in London or New York. Peace can only be found one place where Jesus is, there's peace. Hallelujah. Where the God of all grace and the God of, of our salvation abides, there is peace and there's safety, there's joy and there's love and there's mercy. There's great mercy. Great mercy. And our text in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1, he said, These people who are waiting for the consolation of Israel, people like Simeon and people like Anna, who have lived their whole life in anticipation of a promise that has been given to the people of God. Zechariah was 
a priest prophet. Zechariah, he says his father's name was Berechiah, and he said his father's name, his grandfather's name was Berechiah, his father's name was Ido, I-D-D-O. Brother Fincher used to say, if I had a name like that, I'd change it. His father's name was Ido, and his name was Zechariah. Boy, what a, what a good assemblage that is. You know, you know, the Bible tells us that Ido means an appointed time. Zechariah means the Lord will bless. Isn't that great? Wouldn't you like to have a name that says, the Lord will bless is my name. Zechariah means God will bless. Ido means at an appointed time. At an appointed time. And Berechiah says, blessings are yours. So at an appointed time, put grandfather and father and son together, you see, you get at an appointed time, the father will bless and keep his promise. Boy, what an assemblage of names that is. That it sends a message to every one of us, from grandfather to father to son, that at the appointed time, God will bless his people. Do you believe time's important to God? Do you believe God is concerned about time? Do you believe God's on a schedule? In fact, Galatians chapter 4 teaches us that when the fullness of time was come, God sent his son, made of a woman, made under the law, that he might for all time redeem them that are under the law. God is very specific about, about time. This priest and this prophet, Zechariah, lived during the time of Haggai. Haggai was a contemporary of these guys. Ezra was a contemporary. And you know that all of these prophets are called minor prophets. whole group of people that you call minor. Hey, the only thing minor about them is they weren't very long. They had a major message. Some of them were very short. Hosea, you can read it on one page. And you have all of these connotations and people make these remarks about minor prophets. They may have been short in the length of their message, but their message was major, major. These guys lived during the time when uh, Israel had come back from the captivity. How many of you know they were taken into captivity? We call it the exilic period or time of the exile. In other words, the Chaldeans came because the Israelites were so rebellious and so idolatrous and were so, oh, rebellious against God. God said he, in his chastisement of them, would allow a nation to come in and plunder. And the Chaldeans came from Babylon and came in and took all of the the choice people and carried them as captives back over to Babylon to serve them. And they tried to give them Babylonian names. They tried to change them into uh, worshipers of their idol gods. But you know the story about all of the things pertaining to that, the Hebrew boys and about, about Daniel and Persia and all about all of the things that took place while they were in. But there's one thing God told him. He said, in 70 years, you will be in captivity. But after 70 years, I'm going to let you come back home and let you rebuild the temple. 
Now, Jeremiah was one who lived through that whole 70-year period. And he prophesied this. He said, 70 years, God is going to punish Israel. 70 years, we're going to be in captivity to the Babylonians. And God spoke to Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, I've got a piece of property that I want you to go buy. You didn't know God was in the real estate business? You didn't know that God was a real estater? He said, I want you to go buy this piece of property. He said, Lord, I just prophesied to your people that 70 years we're going to be gone. And God said, yeah, but you're coming back. And when you get back, you're going to need to build a house. And if you build a house, you're going to need a piece of property. So you better go buy some property while it's cheap. While everybody's moaning and groaning about everything, you better go buy you a piece of property. Hey, there might be a strategy right there. Maybe a strategy right there. God said, go buy you some, some property because as sure as you live, one of these days you're coming back home. I will not be mad forever. I won't, my anger and my wrath will not last for long. But I'm just telling you, after 70 years, you can come back. And Nehemiah, some people call him the shortest prophet of all the prophets, Nehemiah, Nehemiah. Nehemiah was one of the prophets of the exilic period. And the Bible said he was serving as cupbearer to the king. And that was one of the best jobs there was for an Israeli. Cupbearer to the king. That means you get to eat the king's food. That means you get to drink whatever the king is drinking. That means you, you've got a soft bed to sleep in. That means you've got a comfortable place and don't have to be out in the elements. Boy, how God blessed Nehemiah. Nehemiah, kings would have them to drink the drink first because they didn't want to be poisoned. They'd eat the food first so the king wouldn't get poisoned. And kings were scared to death, so they had a cupbearer, and that was their duties. It was easy. It was good pay. It was is a good place. But the time came, some of the Hebrew brethren came by and told him, said, we've been by Jerusalem, and the walls are torn down, and the rubbish heaps are just packed up. The Romans destroyed everything, and they pushed everything up in these piles. You can still see those piles. You know what they're called? Tell. They're called tells. In fact, Tel Aviv is where one of those tells is, where the Romans came and took the, the strong animals, the elephants and all, and just dragged through and, and piled up that rubbish as high as these walls. Can you imagine going back home and all you could see is rubbish and destruction? There was nothing but dismay. There was nothing but disappointment about coming back home. 
And the Bible said, Nehemiah, when he heard those words, he sat down and wept. And he cried and shed tears because the walls were torn down and the gates were burned and the people were under great shame and great reproach. And the Bible said he walked around before the king and the king looked at him and he said, Nehemiah, what's wrong with you? He said, ah, I'm all right. He said, no, you're not. He said, you're pale. You're not eating. You're not doing the things that you used to do. What's wrong with you? Your countenance has fallen. I see you in long periods. You look like you're in a trance of some kind. What's wrong with you? He said, O king, he said, my brethren back at Jerusalem are under great oppression. Our walls have torn down. Our gates are burned. Our holy city is in shambles. It's a, it's a garbage dump. It's a, it's a rubbish heap. And there's nothing there but where the Romans have plundered and torn down and sowed salt in our fields so they'll never grow crops again. Cut down all of our trees so we can't use them to build anything. Everything we've got is lost. And the king said to Nehemiah, I'm going to give you letters to the foresters in Lebanon. You go and this will buy you timbers. I'm going to give you letters to the stonemasons. I'm going to give you where you'll have all the supplies that you need to rebuild the walls. And as these Jews start coming back home, back to the rubbish, back to the garbage heap, back to the torn down walls and the destruction, they're so dismayed. They're so down and they're so depressed that suddenly... A prophet gets up. His name is Zechariah. And he says, listen to me. There's coming a day. There's coming a day when God will open up a fountain in the house of David. It's not always going to be like this. God is going to replenish. God is going to restore God is going to heal. God is going to, hallelujah. God is going to bring you back so that the former will not be anything to compare with the new that God's going to build. God is going to take the rubbish heap and build and erect and put the walls back and put the houses back, put the altar back in his house and reestablish himself as God of a nation, in that day, there's going to be a great, great healing. There's going to be a great coming to God. We've learned our lesson. God had to whip us. He had to chastise us. But we've learned our lesson. God is our God. And we're coming back home. We're coming to rebuild what was torn down. Thousands of them had died in battle famine and pestilence in the siege of Jerusalem. Tens of thousands more had been carried into captivity. Solomon's temple was just a memory, and only the elderly who returned with Nehemiah and Ezra could even remember its former glory. There's a very poignant moment in Ezra chapter 3 that describes the feelings of these older believers. It says, Ezra chapter 3 verse 12, But many of the priests and the Levites and chief 
of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house. When the foundation of that house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice. They knew that their current circumstances were such that left them in such despair and despondency, desolation and discouragement. The future looked bleak, but thanks be to God, Zechariah said, there's coming a day. There's coming a day. Messiah is coming. God's going to send you a king. God's going to send you a king. God's going to send you a king. He's the king of Judah. He's of the stem of Jesse. He's the rod of renown. He's the Lord of lords, the prince of peace. He's the one who will bring and restore Jerusalem. Jehovah remembered his covenant and his declaration. He can speak like no one else can speak. He can do what no one else can do. He is the almighty, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. He is sovereign God and there is none beside him. He is peerless. He is the God who created all things. He is the God by whose word all things consist. He is the God who made us and not we ourselves. We're the sheep of his pastor. We're the people of his hand. And God has everything on schedule. Jesus even was heard in his ministry in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. The Bible said it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying everything Jesus did was what he knew about time. Fullness of time, he was born. The Bible said when it was time for him to leave this earth, go to Jerusalem, the Bible said he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem to be crucified. Jesus was constantly aware of the time. You know, Jesus knew the time so well because he understood the consequences of sin so well. Listen to this. Jesus was present the day God said, Adam, you and Eve have got to leave. And I want to tell you that broke the heart of a gracious God. It broke his heart. It broke his heart. And I want to tell you, Jesus heard the sentence. Jesus heard all about what was going to happen when God said, from now on you'll have to plow fields. From now on you'll have to toil with your back and with your own strength. You'll earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. From now on the ground, you'll depend upon the ground to yield its strength to you. From now on you'll be a, a, a farmer. You'll, you'll have to work to earn your bread. It will no longer be provided for you. And there will come a time when you'll no longer exist and you'll die and you'll perish. After living in a place 
where immortality was the blessing. Never die, where constant health was yours, where everything was supplied. You didn't have to work. You didn't have to do anything except enjoy the blessing and the presence of God. Jesus heard that sentence, and the first Adam was driven out. Did you know the Bible tells us there are two Adams? The first Adam was, the Bible said, our father. The first Adam was the one that was created out of the dust of the earth, and God breathed in his nostrils, and he became a living soul. Do you know who the second Adam was? The Bible said the second Adam is the Lord from glory. The Lord from glory, who was rich, but for your sakes became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. The one who can come down and, and condescended and became flesh. John 1, 14, that he became flesh and we beheld him as of the only begotten Son of God. You mean God became flesh? God became one of us? You mean God left the glory of heaven and God left all the splendor, all the joy, all the blessing and condescended and entered this world as a child. And the Bible said, and the iniquity of us all was placed upon him. From the very day that Jesus heard the sentence, from the very day that Jesus heard the sentence rendered by God and knew that Adam had to leave, Jesus knew right then what the payment was and what the propitiation was, what it will take to restore Adam. Jesus knew right then. As soon as he knew the sentence, he knew about the restoration. He knew what it would take. You know, some say that when God was looking for something that was worthy in heaven, uh, that, that's inaccurate. God had no search for someone in heaven that was worthy. There wasn't a, 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 a hunt. There wasn't a search. Jesus knew from the very outset of it all that he was God's plan of redemption. That there was no other name under heaven. That there was no other way of salvation. Neither is there salvation in any other. When Jesus knew the sentence, he knew the penalty. He knew what the remedy was. Right then and there, he knew, I am coming to the world. I am going to become just like Adam. I'm the second Adam. He's the first Adam. And the Bible said, by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. But by the obedience of another man. Oh, glory to God. I'm about to shout off this stage. That by the obedience of one man, salvation and blessing and forgiveness and restoration was brought into the world. In the person of Jesus Christ, we have access unto the Father. 
in the person of the Lord Jesus, we can know God. And through the person of the Lord Jesus, we can have eternal life. Through knowing the Lord Jesus, we can be ready to go in a rapture. Through knowing the Lord Jesus, we can be prepared for heaven and all of its blessing and all of its beauty and all of its splendor. Because of Jesus, we don't have to fear death. Because of Jesus, we don't have to worry about the consequences of sin. Because of Jesus, we have no fear and anxiety in approaching the throne of God's grace. In fact, because of Jesus, we have an invitation to come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain help in time of need. This one who understood the penalty, who understood the remedy as well, said to every one of us, come to me. I preached it the last two Sundays. Come to me. Come to me. The Bible said, all ye ends of the earth, and do what? And be saved. And be saved. Wow, what a propitiation that was. You know, Israel is full of fountains. They don't have to worry about rainwater because they've got so many fountains that their fountains supply all the water they need. When we were there, we, you would see a barren place, just as barren rock as it could be, but there'd be one green spot right in, right in the middle of all that brown. You'd see something that was so verdant green, so bright that you could distinguish it from any other place in that desert. And you know what it was? Water. That was a fountain. That was where water bubbled up out of the ground. And you would see people there from all over bringing their pots and bringing their, their containers to get water from that fountain. When we were in Jericho, they said, Pastor, would you like to go and see the, the springs of Jericho? I said, yeah. Said, said, you realize that's one of the great miracles of Elijah, don't you? I said, uh, what are you talking about? I said, I've read that and probably preached about it. Are you talking about they're here? said, yeah, I'll take you to them. You know, at one time, the Bible said those springs were bitter. At one time, the Bible said the men of the city said to, said to uh, who was it? Elisha. Said to Elisha, said, this city is a pleasant city, and everything here is nice and comfortable, but the water is not. The water is not, for it's bitter and we can't drink it. And the Bible said that Elisha went over and cut down a piece of wood. And the Bible said he went to the springs and he inserted the wood into the water. And he said, thus saith the Lord. These springs shall be healed from this day forward. And the last verse of that chapter said, And to this day the springs are healed. Wow. There was another bitter situation that existed 
in the sentence that God rendered and that man was exposed to sinfulness, to lustfulness, to licentiousness, all the things of the flesh, all the dirtiness and all the nastiness of the world. And isn't it interesting that he didn't offer this water for this fountain open in the house of David just for people that were thirsty. But he said there are also people that are unclean. There are folks that are dry and don't have any water. And when they come to the spring, they fall down and they embrace the water and they just drink and drink and drink. Because thirst is something we can all identify with, can't we? It's the one thing, the utterance from the cross, when Jesus said, I thirst, that we can all relate to. I thirst. Isn't it wonderful? Do, do you know, you've had that joy a lot of times when, when you've been out in the sun, you've been working real hard. We was kids, we used to, daddy'd hire us out to whomever would give us a dollar work for a dollar an hour to haul hay for some of the farmers. And boy, we would get out in that hay field and get an old international truck with what we call dog gear. And it would just barely, that motor just barely turn over and we'd walk along beside it and throw bales of hay up there and go put them in the barn. And man, the wasp and the yellow jackets would build nests up in that thing. And we would be sweated. But if we could find a place where there was a drop of water, we would just gulp it down. We didn't need to put it in a bottle and call it all these crazy names, Dasani and all that stuff. We didn't care what brand it was. It just needed to be water, Charles, just water. We were so thirsty we couldn't care less if it was from Sweden or ice water melted. All we knew was I'm hot and sweaty and I need a drink. Brother, when you come to Jesus, that's the way you come. You come to Jesus saying, I don't care about a lot of other things. If I can just get to Jesus and get a drink of that water, if I can just get to that fountain, but not only because you're dry, but you need the fountain because the Bible said, for cleansing, for cleansing. Come on, Olivia, I'll have to finish the rest of this next Sunday. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge Beneath the flood, lose all their guilty stains. The di dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day and 
go vile as he wash all my sins away stand with me wash all my sins away wash all my sins away and there may i though vile as he wash all my sins away is that you today that jesus has come and washed all of your sins away has jesus come into your heart and become that fountain where you keep going back where you keep going back you see i wish that i could drink enough water one time to just do me you know you're about 98 percent water don't you did you know that if you lose two percent of your water in your your body you drop 20 percent of your energy 20 percent of your feel good goes out the door when you lose 2% of your water. Now, I'm not selling Fuji water or anything. I'm just telling you, drink your water. Drink your water. It's important to drink your water. You'd be surprised how much your mental ability to think drops when you dehydrate. Did you know the body absorbs cold water faster than it does warm water? I wouldn't have thought that to have been the other way around. Do you know at a certain percentage at about 20%, you lose 20%, you die. Wow. You mean I need water to keep living, Brother Jerry? You better believe it. You quit drinking water, you're an NFL not for long better get your water last Wednesday night we talked that Jesus told a very troubled woman remember this lady said why is it that thou ask me to give you a drink you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Why would you ask me? Jesus said, if you knew. If you knew the gift. If you knew the gift of God. Woo. And if you knew who it is that asked you for a drink. Is there anybody here that knows the gift? Is there anybody here that knows the who? Oh, if you know the gift and you know the who, then the Bible said, then you would ask. Oh, bless God. Somebody in this house needs to understand what the gift is and understand who the who is and what you're supposed to do then. Ask. You would ask me to give you a drink. 
He said, if any man drink the water that I shall give him, he shall never thirst again. But it shall be in him a living well springing up into everlasting life. And that little woman looked at him and said, Sir, give me this water. Give me this water that I thirst no more. And the Bible said, and then she left her water pot. You see, when you meet Jesus, whatever you was doing before, it don't matter anymore. What you came there for is not real the priority anymore because you met Jesus. You got to a fountain. You come to one fountain, but you found another. You was looking for physical water, but you found spiritual water. And the one who has the spiritual water says to you, said, drink this water and you'll never, ever drink again. It'll satisfy your soul. It will satisfy your soul. Hallelujah. And the Bible then said, she went into the city and told the men, told the men why didn't you tell the women see she'd had five husbands and was shacking up with one now that wasn't her husband come on she went to see the men of the city because she wanted every one of them to know I met a man his name is Jesus He's got water. It's water that never runs dry. It's water that always has been, that always will be. It's flowing free. It's without cost. It's for anybody. And I just want you to know, you're not a customer anymore. I don't do that anymore. I'm changed. I'm a new person. I'm a brand new being. The Lord has made things different for me. I, I've become a disciple now since I drank that water. Since I accepted Jesus, I, I served somebody else, so I'll never serve you ever again. And then she said this. She said, come and meet this man. Come with me. I'll take you, and you meet this man who has this living water. Brother, we who have tasted that living water need to go and find people and say, come, come with me. I'll introduce you to a man. A man, she said, who told me all that I ever did. And all that I ever did wound up being what he forgave and cleansed. That's what he forgives and cleanses. I thank God for that, don't you? God, dismiss us in your care today and go with us and help us to be shining lights for you and lead lost people to the fountain that never runs dry. We bless your name, we praise your name, and we give you all glory. Amen and amen.